Are you tired of all the voices who say, focus on the bottom line numbers? Say whatever you have to, just close the sale. Just get the credit card. It doesn't matter what you deliver. You will never build a successful business until you grow a pair and stop caring so much. Here, we respectfully disagree. We give you permission to embrace who you are, how much you care, and encourage you to design a business that works for you and your clients. Welcome to The Art of Giving a Damn, the podcast that proves with every single episode that you can create a profitable business doing what you're passionate about and making a positive difference in the world. Now, here's your host, Michelle Schaefer. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Art of Giving a Damn. Today, my guest is Ren Sickles. Ren, welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I am great. I'm excited to have a conversation that uh, I think may be very eye-opening for a lot of the audience. Well, not many people get excited at talking to CPAs, but... (laughs) Well, but they should. There's some very good things in there. And for those who don't know you yet, let me start with a quick introduction here. So uh, you started out as a temp during tax season in 1980, and today you are a managing shareholder of Ally Silverstein, a regional CPA firm. Your headquarters are in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and you also own a whole bunch of affiliate uh, companies, including Abacus Payroll and others. You have 40 years of experience in accounting, tax, and advisory, Uh, worked with everybody from law firms, real estate developers, computer consulting, healthcare professionals, manufacturing, retail, wholesale, athletes, family offices, startups. I have to ask, is there anybody you haven't worked with in your 40-year career? (laughs) I've never worked on a public company. Okay. (laughs) But I've, I've taken public companies private. Oh, now that's interesting. It definitely has been very interesting. Yes. yes, I can imagine. Well, you know, 99.9% of listeners to this show are privately held entrepreneurial companies, which I know you've got a lot of experience with. So I'm interested to, to dive into a conversation here. One interesting thing, though, uh, about what you do is that in addition to helping with the tax basics and accounting needs, you supervise things in terms of mergers, acquisitions, reorganizations, bankruptcies, all sorts of other special projects as well. So you've got a very big picture view of what businesses need in terms of all of their advisory and accounting services. Yeah, when I when I started in this field, I was uh, basically the boots on the ground and just all the pushing of the pencils. At this stage of my career, I'm closer to 30,000 feet and looking down and try to as I like to say, being more of an orchestrator than the mechanic on each activity. Gotcha. That's a that's a great analogy for it. Um, so let's just dive in and get started. I think one of my biggest questions would be, what do you see entrepreneurs doing right or doing wrong when it comes to their basic tax accounting and, and all of those pieces in business other than ignoring them, which a lot of entrepreneurs tend to do? <laughs> I think in a lot of cases, when somebody's starting a business, they're, they're working on a limited budget. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they shortchange whatever they feel they can shortchange. And um, anyone with a computer, a computer program and TurboTax thinks they're a tax expert. So they don't really get the professional expertise they need 
whether it's an attorney, a banker, or a CPA. So mm -hmm. what a lot, a lot of times what will happen is that I like to say they use a cut and paste. They get somebody else's agreements. They get somebody else's um, terms, uh, terms, contracts. And what they do is they cut and paste to make it their own. So what will happen is later on in life, that's the contract that they have to um, adhere to with their partners or to soon to, to be departed partners. And they don't have anything specifically designed for their case. And the same thing with, with accounting records or tax records. There's certain decisions made, what type of entity, whether they're cash basis or accrual basis. Mm -hmm. And they make decisions without really consulting an expert. And they're the decisions they're stuck with from years to years to come. And there's consequences to some of those decisions. And they're not aware of it. And they, they just really don't spend the money for the expertise that they need when they start. And, yeah. and that becomes a problem later on in life where they're with their business. Yeah. I remember the first time I filed business taxes, I was 19 when I started my business and I had no idea what cash versus accrual was asking me on the tax forms. That was my first sign of, I may need some help <laughs> with right. this piece of things. And I think a lot of times people don't know, I mean, we can Google, accountant or, or accountant support or ask a friend who's in business, but what's the best way to actually find somebody who not just can do the, the numbers entry, but actually gets the bigger picture on some of the strategic stuff? Like how, how do you go about that process of finding the right person? It might be as simple as Googling it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that consider themselves experts, but other people in business, other people in your community have dealt with other professionals and you need to start with a professional whether it's a lawyer or a CPA and from there use their network of 30 40 years of business to gotcha. get the representation you need you know a lot of my work is involved with with startups that have shortchanged their their agreements and later on as the the entity starts to become more profitable people yeah. start fighting for money and those agreements again they're stuck with yeah. And that, that is something that I think there is a tendency with a lot of people in startup mode who, like you said, they're, they're looking to operate on a shoestring budget. They don't understand which categories you really can't do that in. If you want to position yourself well for growth, there are certain categories that you've got to make the investment in yourself to have those things done. Um, so contracts would be one of them for sure. Not, not copy and paste from, you know, whatever templates you could download free online. Um, if you're going to go into a partnership or any sort of, of arrangements like that, what would be some other things that really their accounting records, their, okay. their, whether they should be cash basis or coal basis, but setting up their accounting records and what backup they have. Uh, a lot of times what'll happen is somebody starts a business and they're really not tracking all the expenses and they're not tracking oh, yeah. it accurately. So yeah. they, they may keep their accounting records on an Excel spreadsheet, in, which is a um, one right, it's not a double entry system, it's a one entry system. Yeah. Therefore, they're really not having the internal controls to make sure nobody's stealing from them. So what they want to do is get up a, uh, pick an accounting system, whether it's QuickBooks, QuickBooks Online, Zero, which is something we use where it's a double entry system that allows them to use the safeguards. Uh, we like the package zero because it allows you to automate the accounting and bookkeeping practice oh. part of your 
requirements, record keeping requirements, and the automation saves everybody time and almost gives you instantaneous information. You can set up dashboards with it and it just gives you the information you need to make real time decisions. That's great. I'll have to get a link from you for that and make sure we put it in the comments, uh, the show notes for this episode, because I, I know a lot of people that they're either set up with QuickBooks or they have some semblance of an Excel spreadsheet of some sort. And uh, that just makes tax time a nightmare for them, for their accountant or whoever is helping with that piece of things. Yeah, what, what usually happens is when somebody's starting a business, they have all the time in the world and they can keep the information current on an Excel sheet and keep it uh, accurate and up to date. But as they get busy in the business they're doing and the day-to-day -day activities, right. the problem child or the adopted stepchild, so to speak, becomes the accounting system and the record keeping. Mm -hmm. And what happens yeah. is if you don't have that current, you're losing expenses. It's causing you additional professional fees yeah. just because the accountant needs to do the work. And you really don't want to pay the accounting firm, accounting firm rates to do bookkeeping functions. That's right. why we like the automation. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And, you know, I think sometimes people don't realize how much power there is in having, like you mentioned, dashboard displays, things where you can see what's coming in, what's going out, and actually be able to make some projections as you grow and make smart decisions about some of the things. You know, I've, I've talked to people before who they finally hire an accountant and find out they were spending a thousand bucks plus a month in things they didn't even need because they weren't paying attention and tracking their numbers, they didn't even know all these subscriptions they were signed up for or different things that were just going out the door. Yeah, what happens is even on a personal level, when people go out to eat, unless they really write things down and do a budget, they don't realize how much they spend in restaurants until you make a client sit down and put it down to paper, pencil right. to paper, and they realize, I didn't realize I spent this much on meals and entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. It's eye-opening when you're able to track everything and see numbers in front of you because so often entrepreneurs, especially, I think, especially the visionary ones tend to kind of fly by the seat of their pants and their intuition, which can be a valuable asset. But at the same time, you can't argue with data and numbers. And when you see, okay, this is my income in different places in your business, you're able to make really smart decisions for the growth of your business uh, and know what to focus on. So that's such an important piece of it. Um, one of the things that, that I see entrepreneurs get stuck on a lot, and I would love your, your insight on this, is sometimes they set things up just as them running it themselves. And then when they're ready to expand and grow, they don't quite have the foundation in place for that. Some of that goes back to the agreements you mentioned, but what are some things that entrepreneurs who are more in the single person startup phase can do to position themselves properly for aiming for things like to be acquired, to look at the potential for mergers or bringing on partners or investments and things? Well, if they really need to look at the accounting records and making sure they have sound accounting records. But I think where a lot of uh, startups make mistakes is that they think they can't make mistakes. Mm. And, and they don't make decisions. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, if you, as, as managing partner, if you only do the things that you're 100% sure are going to work, mm. what you're going to do is you're going to miss a lot of growth opportunities and opportunities to make money because you really need a good 250 hitter. You know, if, if you're right 2.5 mm. times out of 10, you're going to make a lot of money because there's not many decisions you make that are going to be 100% certain. 
So you lose a lot of opportunities because you can't make a decision. You know, when, when I travel and I have people in charge, I tell them to just make a decision. Just decide, there's nothing you decide. And what happens is those people, when, they're, when they first get in that role, are mm -hmm. paralyzed and they're afraid they're gonna decide wrong. No, trust your gut. You've been, you've been doing this for 20 years, 10 years. This is, your, this is your livelihood. Make a decision just like any other day. Just decide. The, the problem becomes when mm -hmm. people don't decide and just drag their feet and are, are afraid. Yeah, that, that is definitely one of those things that I think we're, we're trained throughout childhood and on all of a formal education to shoot for 100% that we want that like perfect score on things. And it is, it's a hard mindset to shift when you go into making quick decisions knowing, hey, this might not work out. This might not be the best decision. Um, and especially making decisions quickly without maybe all of the information that you'd really love to have. I find that holds people back a lot of times from making faster decisions as they get stuck in research mode. Yep. You just need to trust your gut sometimes and decide. Um, a lot of times we'll see people want to be 100% perfect and it doesn't work out there in the real yeah. world that way. No, that, that's such a great way to put it, to shoot for that 2.5, that you know, one out of four decisions basically um, being the good one and, and working out. Because you're right, if you, if you just take the swing more, you're gonna get more things that do work than if you never swing. Right, and, and what you have to decide is if you make the wrong decision and you're wrong, you gotta admit it, that okay, that's wrong, let's go in a different direction. It's, you know, you, you, you're not stuck with that decision. You can change it or do something else. Yeah, that's very true and that that's easy to either forget or sometimes get stuck in that place. I see a lot of people, once they've had one thing not work out, they're afraid to take that next shot. I say it all the time. Uh, a few years ago, maybe about seven or eight years ago, I, I hired a practice development person and they were with me for two or three years and I ended up letting them go. And then for two or three years, I did not have anybody doing practice development. And about a year and a half ago, I decided to bring a new person in and it was working out. It's working out well now. But if I got stuck on that first decision mm -hmm. where I brought somebody in, I failed. Um, if I didn't bring her in now, I wouldn't have the business that she is currently bringing in. Yeah, you know, that's such an important mindset for anybody in business to be able to keep is just that, you know, keep moving forward. If something doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you don't try it again. It means you adjust and then you go for it again. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so I actually asked uh, before we got on to record some questions from people that they had about accounting systems or finance or all of that. So I'm going to throw some of those at you here. One of the ones I got a couple of times was around accounting software. Do you recommend using something that is secure on somebody's local computer or something that's in the cloud? I prefer the cloud. Okay. I prefer the cloud. As I said earlier, we use a product called Zero X-E-R-O. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, it's uh, New Zealand based. It's making its entree into the U.S. over the last couple of years. We, we like that system because we feel it is secure. There's probably a couple hundred, couple thousand add-ons that you can do with it, and it synchronizes everything and automates the bookkeeping process. Gotcha. So it's a system with it we we like a lot. When you use a desktop, 
um, what happens is that somebody has to take the information from the desktop, right. send it to uh, the accountant or whoever, and it just takes time. Where it, in the products that we use, we like being able to answer questions by signing on and what, looking at the same screen mm -hmm. that the, uh, the bookkeeper or the, uh, the client is looking at. That makes sense, yeah. So, so we right. moved over the last five or six years from desktop versions of computer software to the cloud-based systems, whether it's QuickBooks Online or Xero. Okay, cool. Thank you. And I will, again, for everybody listening, make sure we have a link to that in the show notes so you can check out that solution for accounting. All right, next one. So for people who have somebody handling their taxes, but they're still doing their own bookkeeping, what's the best time to get somebody else handling the regular bookkeeping for you? And should that be the same person that handles your taxes or somebody different? We like to, the, it should be the same person. Really. Okay because you don't really want to pay for two people to get up to speed. Gotcha. Uh, with regard to timing, um, if you're talking about what time during the year since somebody looked and start to do tax planning, nine months into the year is usually a good time for you to start to look at your tax projection for the next year or the current year so that you have two to three months to manipulate the numbers to get to, to where you want. You can't really do tax planning after the fact. Uh, if you're talking about when, when business is good enough that you should hire somebody to do the bookkeeping instead of okay. yourself, it's really on how much time you're spending doing the bookkeeping and whether you're better served going out and selling and promoting the business so you can make enough money to cover the bookkeeping costs. Yeah, that's, I think, more where that specific question was coming from. And I think one thing that sometimes entrepreneurs forget to look at is, is what's their hourly rate? Because for most people in coaching and consulting, their hourly rate is actually higher than what they would pay somebody to do bookkeeping. So it doesn't make any sense to spend an hour or two hours frustrated by your bookkeeping when you could be working with a client doing something you love and have somebody who's good at it and enjoys it handle your bookkeeping. Yeah, what we've gotten away with in our industry where we stopped doing is we stopped doing the hourly rate. Uh -huh. What we try to do is give the clients a menu of services, whether it's bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. Tell them, here's what we'll do for this level of service. Here's the guardrails that you have or what we will do. This is the way you'll give us the records. And if anything is outside the guardrails, we'll talk about price beforehand. Mm -hmm. And it, what it does, it allows the client to do a better budget. Yeah, that's Nobody great likes approach. opening up the bomb of what the monthly bill is going to be. Because every month, it could be a different number. But, yeah. but you have to have the conversation with the client on what the fees are going to be in advance. Nobody that's, likes surprises. That's a really great approach. I hadn't seen that particular one in, in the accounting space. Very cool. It's, we, we started doing that about three or four years ago. That is very cool. I, I can see where that would be a benefit for clients to be able to know as long as nothing goes crazy haywire or I don't need a ton of extra help this month, my bill will stay approximately the same. Right. And what you do is you get, allow them to budget over 12 months. But, you know, if something is happening outside of the guardrails, you need to have that conversation. Yeah, that's a great approach. I love that. Very cool. All right. Let's see. Um, so the other question that I had, I think you kind of already addressed, and that was, do you recommend um, buying packages of accounting uh, reports or legal documents that are ready to go, ready to use? So I'm thinking, 
you do you do recommend that. Yeah, well, when you say ready, when when you say ready to go, when you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with, if you're talking about off the shelf rack type programs, it's not something I I, I think is gotcha. favorable to somebody. Yeah, so I, I think I think that particular question is more like, you know, if you go into a Best Buy or some of the different office supply stores, they have those like ready to go packages of contracts that are written by a lawyer, but they're not specific to somebody's business. Do you ever feel like that's a good idea or is that almost always a bad idea? I've never seen it work out well. Never. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty direct answer. Yeah, it, it's, 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 you know, those agreements are, are kind of like a prenup. Uh, if, if, you know, as, as regular marriages break up, so do business marriages. And right. what happens is those canned agreements don't take into consideration mm -hmm. your business and what your efforts are or your sweat mm -hmm. equity. So yes. a lot of times what happens is they don't get the attention because when, when, a, when a business starts, everybody's going to be live happily ever. Uh, right. afterwards and, and things are going to work out really well and everybody's going to be a gazillionaire but it doesn't always happen that way reality tends to take a, a more twist and turn type path for most of us <laughs> but those contracts that you sign on day one and, and they seem never to get updated they they just seem to be you're busy doing other things yeah. And, you know, whether there's resentment between partners or shareholders because somebody's doing something or somebody's not doing something yeah. or, um, you, know, you, you might have a business partner who's married and you don't, and something happens to that business partner and you don't want to be partners with that person's spouse. Uh, they're all things that need to be considered when you do those documents. And I don't believe those canned documents usually take care take that in consideration. Yeah, that's one I never even thought about as a possibility, but it makes sense that that could be a situation you could find yourself in. Yep. Oh, okay. I can imagine you've put out some interesting fires over the years. Oh, there are, that, that's, that's the fun part of my job, the fires. <laughs> it's not the day-to-day -day things. I, I can imagine that takes a, a level of creativity to come up with some solutions for things like that. When things we, We've off. seen documents that um, individuals have been married, divorced, mm -hmm. and remarried but they've never changed their original documents Ooh. and the original documents leave things to the spouse, the ex-spouse. Oh, that's a sticky one. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. So what do you recommend for people when they do find themselves in a situation like that, where they realize either hopefully beforehand they're sitting here listening and they're thinking my documents may not exist or may not be up to date. Well, um, they or, really need to review the documents at least once a year. Okay. Just to make so sure everything's together. That's uh, kind of a date you need to put on the calendar with yourself and once a year review your legal basics. With, with somebody else because somebody else might see something you don't see. And what I call it is like when, when an individual goes to their doctor to get a physical exam, what right. they need to do is do an annual fiscal exam. And whether with, with their attorney or their CPA, but they really need to go through all that documents and spend the time preparing for the meeting and having those documents reviewed so that as life change makes changes, those documents are changed. Right. That makes total sense. And I would imagine can save a significant amount of both money and energy down the road.
Awesome. That's uh, such, such an important thing to get ahead of those situations before they turn into the major fires. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, a couple of questions I ask everybody on the show. What got you started in this industry? Well, long story. I, I originally wanted to be a sports writer and play professional baseball. Okay. Uh, went to college, uh, turned down a full ride to go to a school. Uh, the first week I found out I couldn't write and I didn't like the baseball coach. So I had to go to plan B, which was, I was good at math. I guess I'll take accounting because accounting took, uh, gave me more choices. And, uh, I took accounting, uh, worked public accounting since 1978. Wow. Okay. So always interesting how some of those, uh, career paths we anticipate shift a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I, I do a lot of talking to uh, college kids or high school kids, and what I explain to them is when I, when I tell them my backstory where I went to a couple universities, didn't know what I wanted to be, um, you know, those decisions aren't disarming a bomb. The blue wire doesn't blow things up. If you pick the wrong school, it can be changed. If you pick the wrong major, you can change it. And um, I've been really lucky in that the decisions I made that were bad decisions ended up in the long run working out for me. Yeah, sounds like it. That's, that's a great perspective on it because you're right. Sometimes we see those things as like life or death, that this is going to be the end of the world. And really it's not. It's just, uh, okay, that didn't work out. Let's try a different direction. Right. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so the other question is, what is your favorite thing about what you do in business? Um, I guess it's the startups, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I had a conversation with somebody this morning who wanted me to do some talking on the startup boot camp, uh, where I like having somebody come into my office with an idea mm-hmm. and help, help them. Because I not only help them, potentially I can help generations of their family because of that. And that is the fun part of my job. That is the real fun. There's two things I like to be managing partner. Uh, helping startups and, and offering kids out of school mm-hmm. a position because they are at the start of their career and they are so excited when they get a job offer that it's just the fun part. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been a partner since I was 29. So uh, more than half of my life, I've been a partner. And they're the two things I really enjoy, offering people positions and then um, helping a startup. Love that. Yeah, I can imagine that the startup part of it has to be so fulfilling to see that domino effect, knowing that you've set not just that person up, but their children and done right grandchildren, great grandchildren with this business that will be there for them uh, because you know it was set up right. And, you know, what I love about the other thing you said is I think that's the part that entrepreneurs should be so excited about is that potential for them to bring people in and provide jobs for others who are excited to be part of what they're doing. Cause that's one of those growth moments for everybody. And uh, people light up when they have opportunities to do that thing they really want to do. Love that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today for coming on the show. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Cause I'm going to guess a lot of people listening are thinking, yeah, I could use that kind of strategic advice and support. Well, um, you can email me at rcicalese, R-C-I-C-A-L-E-S-E at alloysilverstein.com, or you can call me in the U.S. at 856-667-4100, and uh, my website is alloysilverstein.com. 
Perfect. We will make sure guys that all of that info is in the show notes. So near wherever you are watching this video or listening to the audio, you can find that information to reach out, have a conversation with Ren about maybe some documents that need reviewed or how they can support you with your accounting and some of these other pieces, because that's something you really want to make sure is in place for your business so that you've got the right foundation to grow it into what you know is possible. All right. Thanks again so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Thank you. Absolutely. So uh, make sure you rate, subscribe, review the show, and we will see you back again for another episode soon.